God. When the Lord gave this message to me, I was actually playing the piano, dropped it into my spirit. He said that it's important. There's somebody out there that this message is specifically for. Now, I know it's for everybody, and I'm sure there's more than one person. But he said there's somebody out there specifically that needs to hear this particular message. When they hear it, they'll know this is God speaking to them. Amen. Right, so I'm encouraging you when I do the podcast, just pray about it. All right, if you listen to the podcast, just listen, pray about it and say, Lord, is there somebody that needs this message that I know of? Let the Holy Spirit quicken to you somebody and then give them the link. Can I ask you to do that? Because there's someone out there that needs this message. I know, I'm convinced. I'm not saying that there's only one person. I think it applies to us all, obviously. But there's somebody specifically that is in a position that this message will really help them. So can I ask you all just to do that? Let's just pray. Father God, we pray that this message will reach exactly the right person, people that you want it to. We thank you, Lord, that with you there's always life and hope, Lord. And many people are in a difficult position right now. And we pray, Lord, that your word will reach them and bring life, Lord, so that, Father God, their lives can be turned around. In the wonderful name of Yeshua. Amen. Praise God. Let's just read this passage of Scripture. We know it well. I'm going to be reading verses, not the whole thing. But it's about this woman at the well. All right? This woman at the well. And I'm going to start from verse 3. Okay, this is John, the Gospel of John, chapter 4, starting from verse 3. He left Judea and parted again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So just get the scene. The Lord moved around, as we know. He had an itinerant ministry, as they call it. And he wouldn't stay in one place for too long. He was in Judea, that's the highlands, and he had to go down to Galilee. In our terminology, he was in the highfelt, in the city. He needed to go down to Pophada, okay? He left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. Can you see that? He had to go through. It was not his plan to stay there, he had to go through. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Yeshua, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria, a Samaritan, came to draw water. Yeshua said to her, Give me a drink. This is totally unthinkable in that day and age. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Yeshua answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Yeshua answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become to him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. 
Yeshua said to her, Go call your husband and come here. Loaded question, by the way. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Yeshua said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. All right, then she deflects the whole thing. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Yeshua said to a woman, Believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Yeshua said to I who speak to you am he. And at this point his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with the woman. All right, let's just go down to verse 28. The woman who then left her water pot went away into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. Okay, let's go to verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. He stayed there two days and many more believed because of his own word. Amen. Can you believe? So in a way, salvation came to that little village, that city of Sychar. Now, the title of this message is there is no plan B, right? There is no plan B. And I'm going to explain it this way. With God, the big mistake that we make as humans is that we try to limit God to our own intellect. Amen? We've got to grasp that God is beyond, beyond our time, our space, our everything. And when we try to limit him to our realm, as it were. That's when we come unstuck. Remember, the Pharisees and the Sadducees tried to catch him with that whole riddle of the wife marries this one and then the husband dies. And in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Okay. They tried to catch him. It was a whole theological thing they kind of set him up for. And he said, the mistake you're making is twofold. You do not know the scriptures and you do not know the power of God. You see, you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. And very often, when you and I get involved with theological debate, the problem is we don't understand the word properly, but we don't understand it in the light of the power of Almighty God. Amen? Now, when I say there's no plan B, with God, there is no plan B. All right? With God, plan B, so to speak, if we have the right attitude, and this is now the heart of this message, it becomes plan A. Amen? It becomes plan A. There's no plan B with God. It becomes plan A. In God's great knowledge and wisdom and high intelligence, he works things out. He is a specialist in turning a mess into a message, turning things that are not right, dysfunctional, into things that are perfect. That's his nature. That's his nature. Amen? We've got to realize that. Now, you see, how does that apply to you and I in our lives? Let me just say this. Human beings, as babies, we came from heaven. Did you know that? 
where everything is perfect. We come from perfection, originally. And you see, that perfection is in us. It's built into us, because that's the nature of who we are, from heaven, you see. But what happens? In this world, the world is designed to wreck that. Amen. But you see, we start off, and in our minds, our young minds, we have a very idealistic approach to the world. Am I right? The teachers will tell me. The children think everything's wonderful, and they trust everybody. What anybody says, they just, they don't doubt that people could lie or cheat, or they're very innocent. Okay, children are very innocent. That's how we start. We all started that way. Why? Because we come from a perfect place, and that's all we know. But what happens? Slowly but surely, you see, the world system wrecks that. Okay. One of the greatest difficulties or problems that children face is the day when they suddenly realize that their parents aren't perfect. <laughs> I mean, you come to the conclusion, they're not perfect. And very often what we do as children, then we rebel against people that we thought were perfect and they're not perfect, so we almost write them off completely. In a way, that's the natural tendency. That's why people like the socialists, they go for students, young, impressionable minds, filled with ideals. They want to see the world idealistically. Amen? Like one man said, there's nothing more beautiful than the glow of conviction in the eye of a fanatic. <laughs> there's nothing more beautiful than the glow of conviction in the eyes of a fanatic. You see, and many young people, especially at the universities, I was involved with this myself. You see, they get sold an idealistic view of the world. You see, socialism looks so good and so rosy on the outside. The only problem is it doesn't work. It never has, it never will, because it's godless. It brings nothing but poverty, destruction, and death. Nothing. The devil's hallmark. I mean, that's the truth. That's what's ravaged the whole world based on this concept which you'd think people would say well that's rubbish it was shocking to me i thought i was teaching my kids history properly you see and on one occasion i got a matric class out they're pretty bright guys i mean they're pretty clever switched on very aware of what's going on so to speak we had a visiting teacher from he was from england a university had sent him on a training thing and i had this guy in the class we're talking about socialism and i said let's just have a, a little exercise here you see we're going to have like an election. See, this is the class. I'm going to represent capitalism. You represent socialism. And we'll address the class and then we'll have a vote. I thought, you know, it's in the bag. You know, I mean, obviously these kids, I've taught them properly. You know, they know what a mess socialism <laughs> is. blah de blah de blah So I just blabbed away about, oh, how you can rise to the top in capitalism and you make your own life and blah, blah, blah. And then I finished. And then this creep <laughs> who I discovered was a rabid socialist himself. I didn't know that. Otherwise, I would have shot him before I let him come near the cloth. But he starts off like this. He goes to everybody and says, hi, I'm so-and-so. You know, makes friends with, with everybody and um, gives him a real soft serve. And all these kids who I thought I'd trained properly, at the end they all voted for him. <laughs> but that's socialism. And what does it do? It appeals to the idealistic approach that you and I have as we grow up to start off with. Amen? What is the big tragedy? when the wheels fall off. Amen? The wheels fall off. And what happens? Very often you see what was innocence, idealism, 
turns slowly, if not quickly, to cynicism. Amen? Cynicism. Many of the great businessmen that just in it for themselves, building big empires, at one stage were idealistic students. Many men of God, let me tell you, they started off, they started off with this idea that they're going to save the world. Save the world. Amen? Which is what the gospel is about. And end up doing what? Swindling, crooking, selling the church for money. I mean, it's happened in our town. Can you believe it? I always think to myself, if I sold my church, I don't know if I'd get many offers. <laughs> so you're all safe. You're all safe. You won't come and there's another pastor and he says, oh, well, Graham sold me the church. Amen. But that happens. What about politicians? It's the worst. Young men, they go into politics. What are they going to do? Save the world. Bring integrity back into politics. Stop the corruption. End up what? More corrupt than anybody else. I mean, it happens so, so very, very often. Why? Well, you see, the point I'm trying to make, Sharon, is we start off wired for idealism, for perfection. And when we don't have perfection, we sort of give up. That's the big danger, you see. That, and that's what this message is about. You see, we don't have to give up if we understand. Because you see, what happens is, in our lives, we grow up with this perfection mentality, and when this perfection doesn't work out, what do we do? We give up completely. I mean, that is the tendency. So many people have started off with God. Let me tell you, they started off on the right track. And then as they went along, what happened? Things happened. Life happened. They probably weren't taught properly. And tragedy came the way they didn't know how to deal with it. What happens? Their hearts become cold. Is this right? How many people do you know? We know personally people. That's exactly what happened. And they think, well, this Christianity doesn't work for me, so I'm out of it. Then what? They become hardened. I know a man, a hardened atheist. I mean, I was trying to speak to him about evolution and what trash it is, and he's convinced because he's a lecturer at the university. They're the worst. Hmm, a lecturer at the university, I mean, highly intelligent man. And he says, I can't believe for a start that a snake can speak. I mean, you know, that's a bridge too far for his brain, intellectual brain. How can a snake speak right in the garden? And I said to him, my friend, I've seen a lot of other things that boggle the mind. But anyway, but he was, I discovered this, he was once born again, filled with the Holy Spirit. Can you believe it? And now I became a hardened atheist. The whole evolution thing got all of him. Twisted his mind. Twisted his mind. And you can't argue with him. I sent him a list of all the professors and people. There's a big list out there of scientists with PhDs in every field that say they do not subscribe to the theory of evolution. They do not subscribe. I'm talking about scientists at the highest level. And the list is growing bigger and bigger by the day. The tide is actually changing in the scientific world. But anyway, I sent him this list. I said, listen, before you start saying that science is on your side, look at these people. They're not on your side. And they know perhaps a lot more than he does. I'm sure they do in their fields. They know a lot more than I do. You know what he said? Oh, don't bother about that. Can you see? His mind has been twisted. Let's come back to the scripture here. In the matters of life. Don't you think of all people in that village, she was the one, this woman, by the well, that would be 
the first to say, for me, there's no hope. Amen? No hope. Just think about it. She started off, and I can guarantee that she started off idealistically. All right? She started off the right way. Nothing wrong with it. So she gets involved with her first marriage. Glossy-eyed, you know the whole story. Oh, wonderful. Live happily ever after. What happens? Sad to say, the wheels came off. I mean, for one reason or another. Probably her to blame. We don't know. But that didn't work out. All right, so what does she do? Fool for punishment, eh? Try another one. Change horses. Alas, the second horse didn't work out either. Amen? But she didn't give up then. She kept going. You know, one girl said to me, I've got a tremendous talent for choosing the wrong men. Gifted in this regard. Do you know anybody like that? Can't get it right. But anyway, this is a classic example. She goes through five. Can you believe it? Five marriages. Which tells me something. She wanted to do it right. Can you all agree with that? She wanted to do it according to the laws of the day. And she wanted to get it right. But it didn't work out for whatever reason. Now what's happening? Her idealistic idea of marriage, whatever, is slowly but surely being destroyed. Shattered. To the extent that she comes to number six. Six, by the way, in the Bible stands for sin. The number of man. Six, okay? You know, the Antichrist, six, six, six. So six in the numbers is associated with sin. So husband number six is not her husband. She shacks up. Okay, you get it? She doesn't bother to go through the ritual. She's given up. She's given up. Amen? She's given up. How many people do you know that have given up? Because of life. Because of life. And because our idealistic approach has been shattered. You get it? See, and we think in our minds, if it's not working, it's not going to work, it never can work. And in a sense, God is through with me. Have you ever felt like that? In my condition, there's no hope. That's how she must have felt. However, what happens? She meets man number Seven. And for information, seven is the number of perfection. All right? She meets the man, Christ. Now, let me ask you something. If you are God looking at the village of Sychar, Sychar, by the way, is a type of drink. So imagine we've had a village here in South Africa and we called it Mampur. <laughs> Mampur. Moonshine. How do you think a city or town gets the name Mampur? Because it's a common recreation, you understand? So, sarkar, meaning an alcoholic drink, means that you can assume that the people there didn't live a very holy life, all right? But God has a plan for them, and there's Samaritans on top of it all, all right? It's interesting, isn't it? The village was built near a well which brought water, which biblically speaks of holiness, if you can put it that way, a provision. That's how the devil had, in a sense, perverted the beautiful water into Saka, okay? Mampur. So you can understand the spiritual climate of that village was probably a bit shaky. That's all I'm saying. It's just an assumption, not a doctrine. I can't preach it as gospel truth, but it's a possibility. How many of you would have thought if God wants to save that city, the person he's going to use 
is a woman who has a bad reputation as a serial, what would you call it, marrier, serial wife. Serial wife. She must have made half the population, if you know what I'm saying. But I mean, there she was. How many of us would have thought, well, look, of all the people that's going to save her, she's the one? No. No. Not a chance. Not a chance. You see, plan A went out of the window, but not with God. This is my point. Can you grasp the point? She was the person God's going to use. And you might say, oh, well, this is plan B for Sarkar because of her reputation. But the point is there's no plan B with God. Plan B always becomes plan A. I mean, look at the garden in the Garden of Eden. Man had an opportunity to have paradise on earth. What did man do? What man always seems to do? Blows it. <laughs> I was waiting for you, Norman, to say exactly that. Did you hear that, Mandy? So you've got work to do. You've got work to do when you get home, okay? Lunch isn't finished yet. You've got work to do, okay? It was the woman. Yes, we can all say it was the woman. And the man sitting by watched it all happen. Yes, thank you. But anyway, the point is they did it. Mankind did it. Now you see, what's happened to plan A? Did God say, oh, well, that's the end of it? No. God goes, finds them, and then what does he do? He makes a sacrifice, clothes them in animal skin, sheds blood. Plan A becomes plan B, but plan B becomes plan A in God. Do you all see this? Yeah. Right? Anyway, the world moves on. Adam and Eve do their thing, but then, of course, then Cain comes into the situation. Sin comes into the situation. Unfortunately, the seed of sin is birthed in the world, and it reproduces down the line. Comes the place God wants to destroy the earth. Man is messed up so badly, but what does he do? Noah. All right? So plan B, which became A, which became plan B, becomes again plan A. You understand? God makes a plan. But his plan is not just a second-class plan. It always becomes plan A. And so it goes down. You know the story, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes. They messed up royally. But God had a plan. Ultimately, down the line, who was coming? Christ, the Son, brought the world back. Plan B became plan A+. plus. Amen? With God. There's always plan A. All right. So you see the point that we need to make? It doesn't matter where people are at, right? Especially if you feel, my life is a mess. I've missed the boat. I felt like that on occasions. I must be honest. I've spent all these 66 years on this earth. What have I done? I'm being very honest. Maybe a flash here, a flash there. But you see, I comfort myself with something. And that is what? It doesn't matter what you haven't. Who have done, plan B in a sense becomes plan A. Don't look at what's past, look at what lies ahead. Amen? With this understanding that God has always got this ability to turn plan B into plan A. Alright? Plan A. God's always got a plan for you and me. Isn't that wonderful to think? Always, no matter what the situation, there's always a way out, there's always a way up, there's always something that can be done. Amen? But let me just say something. It's not automatic. Plan B 
doesn't automatically become plan A. With God, it can. But what matters the most is your and my attitude. All right, so that's the important condition to grasp here. You might think, well, this is plan B. There's no hope. God can turn plan B into plan A if you and I are prepared to cooperate with him and adopt the right attitude. Can you all say amen? amen? That's all it takes. And that attitude very often starts off with this wonderful old gospel word, repentance. Amen? Repentance. We have to look at the part and say, I've messed up, that's why I've messed up, I'm turning away. That's what repentance is, turning around. Can you see? The moment you and I are prepared to repent, turn around, God is prepared to take our lives and make them plan A again. Why do you think he needs repentance? Because if he makes it plan A and we haven't repented, it will turn back into B, C, D, E, F, G. Maybe plan Z eventually, you see. Do you get it? He's got to have our cooperation on his terms. His terms. That's all it takes. I'm speaking to a man who wants to commit suicide. I don't know how serious he was about wanting to commit suicide, but his complaint was his wife. My wife is driving me mad, you see. I tried to tell him about the devil. He turned around and said, the devil's in my wife. So I thought, well, how am I going to do this one? But anyway, let me just say this. He was in a bit of a mess. But I said to him, God can help you. God's on your side. He wants to turn you and your family into a wonderful success story. I said, that's wonderful, that's wonderful. I said to him, but you have to do it his way. Oh, that's great, you know, I'll do it his way. I said, well, his way is, first of all, you have to get your spirit alive, because if your spirit isn't alive, you're going to just know death, whatever you do. And the only way to get your spirit alive is to get born again. I explained what born again means. He was a Hindu, he's a Hindu, and he said, I'll think about it. So I said to him, you think about it. <laughs> when you thought enough, we'll talk. What is my point? You see, his life is a mess, let's be honest. Two little boys, it's a shambles. It doesn't have to be that way. I mean, it does not have to be that way. He's an intelligent man, got everything going for him. It could all be turned around. I know that. But what's got to happen? He has to make the right choice, you see. We have to do it God's way. For God to help us, we have to cooperate with God. Is that too difficult to understand? And you know, God never, as I always say, doesn't ask you to do something you can't do. We can't do. And in all of this, there's always a step. The first step, you see. Once you get the first step right, God can lead us. Plan A descended into plan B because of husband number one, husband number two. It was a gradual process. But you see, to get out of it, what's going to take? A gradual reversing. You get it? It's available to all. There is no plan B with God. You look at our nation. It looks like it's a complete shambles on the brink of absolute destruction, actually. I was speaking to a man from the, they call themselves the St. Lunders, might have heard of them. They've got a plan of action in case the whole country falls apart. They're storing up food and whatnot. And no, look, don't laugh because, I mean, the man said to me, well, highly intelligent man, very good person, good Christian man. I was speaking to him about the St. Lunders. And he said, just imagine if ESCOM collapses. 
See, this was about two years ago. Then he described the scenario of what would happen and how people would come to the cities to find food and then there's complete anarchy, okay? And when he said it, I laughed. I thought, <laughs> I didn't laugh aloud. I mean, really, don't do that sort of thing. But in myself, I thought, that will never happen. <laughs> yeah, we sit, yeah, we sit two years later on the very brink of dear old ESCOM collapsing. But despite all of that, let me just say something. I have complete peace because there was a time when a few of us Christians tried to help others get everybody together. We dedicated this country to God. This country is God's country. He's got us one way or the other. I believe that, you see. But my point is this, no matter what, the situation is right now, God has got what? A plan. What has become plan Z, if, and this is the big thing, if the country goes about it God's way, there's no reason why we shouldn't experience plan A. Amen. So I'm just encouraging us to grasp it. It isn't over till it's over, if you know what I mean. There has to be in your and my heart hope. Right? And you see, the tragedy is, so many people, they look at their lives and say, well, it's a mess. I may as well just go the whole hog. Is that not the normal human reaction? I'm drinking one whiskey a week, and it's not helping me, but it's the only thing that alleviates the pressure. Everything's gone so bad, I may as well go to two a day. Then that's not enough. It becomes a bottle a day, and hopefully we make it through. What happens? What's happened in the person's heart? They've just given up. You understand? They've just given up. And there's no need. There is no need. Why? God can turn a mess into a message. Think of many people that got involved with drugs. Their lives were completely shattered and then fortunately got hold of the gospel. And what has God done with them? Used them to reach people that were going the same way to stop them. Can you see that? Plan Z became plan A. Amen. In the great wisdom of God, you've got to understand God's mind is continually reprogramming. You might think, oh, that's impossible. God knows what's going to happen. He does know what's going to happen, but there's a lot of variables in the way. And he doesn't get phased by the variables. He builds them into his big plan. Once again, the wisdom of God is way beyond yours and mine. But we can't just turn around and say, oh, well, God's going to work this the right way. You understand? We have a responsibility. But if we're prepared to take that responsibility, that's what I'm trying to say this morning. There's no reason why God cannot turn a life that might be shattered, like this woman, shattered, to the extent that she'd given up with marriage and living a proper life. And yet she met man number seven, who happened to be perfection himself, and turned what? her into an evangelist and saved a great percentage of a village. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that an awesome thought? The very last person you and I would have thought of, God would have used, he had a plan. He had a plan. Living water. The living water plan. The living water plan. Isn't that wonderful? So let's just bear in mind, God hasn't given up on us. Let's not give up on him. Can you all say amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your precious word. The many examples of people that came to the end of their tether, yet you had a plan. We think of the Gideons. We think of the Josephs. We think of the Lord himself on the cross. Why have you forsaken me? But it wasn't over. 
what looked like a complete defeat was turned into the greatest victory that has ever been experienced in the universe, as big as it is. That's wonderful, Lord. We think of the woman with the issue of blood. She thought, this is the end, there's no hope. In a second, an instant, God turned her experience into plan A, which speaks to the rest of the world through eternity. One woman, with a bit of courage, had a message that the whole world needs to hear. And that could be the same for you and I. Every one of us listening to this message, it does not matter where we are at. We might think, well, we've descended now from plan A. Perfection in my life is over. There's no hope anymore. Yes, there is. Amen. With God, there's no plan B. There's no plan C. There's no plan D, E, F, G, right the way through to Z. If you and I are prepared to take God at his word and go about it his way, whatever plan we're on now, survival plan in God's economy can be turned into plan A and our lives can mean something of value. Amen. Amen. Praise Amen. God. 